Andrew Wilson, who's also going to come and share. Seems a bit silly to have on my page, what is your name? Andrew Wilson. There you go. And uh, what have you got in terms of family? Uh, I've got my beautiful wife here in the front row, Kelsey. I've got two little kids, uh, Finn and Macy, who are over there. So, yeah. Happily over there, we hope. Happily, they are very happy over there, actually. It's a good program. Now, what do you do during the week, Andrew? Uh, I have a hair restoration business, so I help people look better if they're suffering from hair loss. We specialise predominantly with women, but we do a lot of good work. So, yeah. And I heard you describe it, you transform women's lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hair is one of those things that can really be hugely depressing and cause lots of anxiety and uh, be very detrimental to people's lives. So yeah, so we basically, in a redemptive sense, I guess you'd say, we try to bring people back to where they were, not to make them something that they're not, but something more like what they truly ought to be and should be. So, Fantastic. Yeah. I think it's a great, great job you're doing there. Anyway, I'm going to hand over to you and you're going to yeah. take it away. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. <coughs> Yeah, good morning, folks. How are you all? It's a bit different being here in this capacity, I've got to say. I'm just going to get out my little time thing here so I don't run over too much. Great. Well, who's enjoyed Thessalonians? Everybody, I hope. Yeah, Thessalonians is a lovely, really warm, beautiful book. I have enjoyed it. And it was really nice to see that glimpse into like the early church a little bit, what, uh, what Paul was concerned about, what they were concerned about, um, and, you know, what really drove them, I suppose, and also get a glimpse of the apostolic teaching. And there's something that really struck me as we were going through the book um, is that there's a theme that pervades it. It's just, it's always there lurking beneath the surface, um, but it's something that doesn't always come up in our conversation. I think oftentimes we sing about it more than maybe we talk about it, uh, but it's a theme that is on every page, it's in every chapter in First Thessalonians. And as I looked into it a little bit further out of my curiosity, I realized that this theme is actually the most spoken about thing in the entire New Testament. Uh, in fact, it's spoken about so often that if you sort of did the sums, apparently it comes up about once every 13 verses in the New Testament. And uh, you might be wondering what that is. And uh, well, I'm talking about the return of Christ or the day of the Lord. And this is encapsulated in... At the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, in verses 9 and 10, it says there that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So I just want to focus this morning, like our thoughts and our attentions, a little bit on this waiting for his Son from heaven, Jesus, because we don't think about it as often as we should. The word there for waiting is literally sustained expectation. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in a later letter to Timothy, he actually talks there about how he longs for this day and that the early Christians that he knew also longed or they loved this day that was to come, the day of the Lord. And in the closing of the New Testament, we see Jesus, his final words to us, that yes, I'm coming soon. And John closes with, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And so this was obviously a very prominent theme in apostolic teaching because the Apostle Paul was with the Thessalonians for like three weeks or three months, depending on how you gather it. But for them, we see that they were waiting and longing for them and it had this radical effect upon their lives. And so I guess as we think about it, 
does this truth, does this teaching, does this future reality, this future grace affect us in a similar way? And so my first thought on this is, what will it do for us? Well, first of all, change our perspective a bit, won't it? It would give us an eternal perspective rather than a, a temporary here and now perspective. I often think of myself, well, I guess in the last few years, maybe as a little bit of a practical atheist. That must sound horrific coming from someone from the front, but as a practical atheist or a practical materialist perhaps. Because so often I find myself looking at just stuff here and now without an eternal perspective. As if this life is all that matters, but rather there is a not thinking that there's a world to be gained, a new heaven and a new earth. I don't always have an eye on the eternal horizon as I should. Instead, probably like most of us, we live with a here and now mindset rather than having a now but not yet mindset. And what I mean by that is that the kingdom of Christ has come now, it is present amongst us, working with the very fact that we are here is evidence of that. But there is still the fulfillment of the kingdom. There is still that day when Christ Jesus will return and he shall make all things new. And so let's just think about this future kingdom. Let's just think about what this day, the day of the Lord, actually means what it might look like. So first of all, he'll actually usher in a whole new epoch of history. He'll usher in a whole new time, an eternal age, an eternal time, rather than just this temporary age that we live in now. This current earth that we so love, and all the things that are in it, our homes, our families, and all that, will be burned up. Everything will be made new. Absolutely everything will be made new. We will be made new. For those of you who are getting a bit older, and I'm in my 40s now, and I feel this, I'm not so good as I once used to be. And I shall be made new. Our bodies that are currently mortal, they'll be made immortal. Our bodies that perish will be made imperishable. And as we think about ourselves, we look at ourselves, the corruption that is within us will be made incorruptible. Death to decay will not affect us. Sickness will be gone. We'll be free. Free in our bodies, we'll be free to love. We'll be made perfect in our hearts and our souls. Through and through, as it says in Thessalonians, we'll be utterly blameless as we stand before the Lord. Utterly blameless. There's also the aspect of judgment as well. Now, this might sound scary to some, and maybe rightly so, but it's also something which we should look forward to. I mean, how great and how wonderful will it be that the day that all those atrocities, all those abuses, whether small or great, large-scale or little, genocide, whatever, will be judged, and there'll be a just punishment meted out for that. None shall escape that. Righteousness shall finally prevail. And Jesus, the perfect judge, the judge who actually sees everything, who understands all the circumstances, who's seen every person's heart, every motivation, and knows exactly what has gone on, he will be there to judge and make things right at last. And for us, it is a day of redemption. We shall finally be redeemed in the fullest sense of the word, and we shall know exactly in everything of what that actually means. Like we are redeemed now in faith and in grace, we experience it in our hearts, but we shall feel it in our bodies and our souls and our minds and in relationship to God because we shall actually see Jesus face to face and we shall be forever with him, it says. This day, the day of the Lord, 
return of Christ literally changes everything, history as we know it. And so I hope, I hope that maybe you can just glimpse a little bit into what transformed the Thessalonians, why it affected them and changed them so much. Might that also affect us a little bit? For myself, when I get caught in the things of life in the here and now, and I think that this life is not everything, and the Christ shall return, that it makes things that seem so big seem a little bit smaller. It makes my burdens right now that seem so heavy feel a little bit lighter. And it really does start to cure my practical atheism, that there is another world to be gained, and that Christ shall be returned. That though I live in the now, there is not yet to be had. And the second thing, which I think it should certainly do, as we think about this, let it capture our imagination, let it capture our hearts, is that it should also change not only our perspective and give us an eternal perspective, but also change what we cherish and change what we treasure. I remember vividly when I was a young guy, there was a lot of talk about the return of Christ at the church that we were at, and they said, you know, how do you feel about if Jesus came back tomorrow? And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. I was like, that sounds dreadful because I want to get married. I want to do what married couples do. I want to make a million bucks. I want to travel the world and I want to become a lawyer. I never became a lawyer, as you can tell. I did something else. A million bucks, well, that's, yeah, who knows. And then, you know, travel the world, I've seen a little bit. But all that just showed me how immature I was and how short-sighted I was and how near-sighted I was and how today, when I think about that, none of those things actually matter because I didn't see how what is yet to come is so far better, so more superior, so much greater than what is here and now. Those things I loved, none of them were wrong in and of themselves, but they were, um, well, maybe wanting a million bucks might be desiring those things, not great, but an eternal perspective would change what we cherish. Jesus tells us clearly how an eternal perspective changes things. He says here in Matthew chapter 6, do you not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths, vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, and the stock market and property markets can crash. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths, vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in, and where the stock market doesn't exist, and the property market will never crash. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus tells us to choose our treasure, doesn't he? We need to follow your, where your heart goes is where your treasure is, so we need to choose our treasure aright. The Bible speaks about our hearts a lot. That's because that's what it is to be human, is to have a heart. And our hearts are composed of what we think about, what we dream about, what we love, what we value, what we cherish. But if this life is all that you dream about, if this life is all that you cherish, that's where your heart will go and you've effectively chosen your treasure. And Jesus says, if I were to paraphrase him, you've got it wrong. You need to change your perspective, you need to change what you cherish. In other parts of the world, where there's a lot of violence, where Christians suffer, where there's persecution, where life is horrible, to look for the coming kingdom isn't such a hard thing to do. If you're in bad sickness and ill health, looking forward to that coming kingdom is easier. But Don Carson makes this really good point. He says that we live in a part of the world where we're lavishing goods 
We've got a lot of great stuff here, and our hearts easily pursue that which is here, and we rarely get excited about that which is to come. And so that means for us that we need to take the injunction of the Lord Jesus himself seriously and take time pretty often to think and reflect upon the passages in the Bible of what it means about the return of the Lord, of what a new heavens and a new earth actually would look like and what they are like. And we need to fire up our holy imaginations so we can see that the Lord Jesus, what the Lord Jesus is commanding us to treasure, what he commands us to think about to value and to run after. Because unless you have a deep sense of these things, we're not ever going to be changed in any real meaningful way. It won't make any practical difference or heartfelt difference to how we live if we don't get a grasp on how powerful and important the return of Christ's coming kingdom is. So I guess the thing is like, for us, what are you longing for? Are you longing like the early Christians? for Jesus to return, for that kingdom which he'll bring to return, to be reunited with Christ forever and forever, to have your sins and your body completely washed away, to have the, the sense of purity and blamelessness forever in your soul and to experience a world that is everything's been made new, everything is beautiful, everything is right and only love prevails. Or are you here in the muck of life now, in the weeds of life, Are you treasuring money that you can lose? Are you treasuring your home and its furnishings and making it perfect when that will be burned up? And by comparison to your eternal home, it'll be but a mere tent. Maybe it's your career, you know, that next promotion, that next project, that next big thing that you want to do. Maybe you've just got a thing for achievement. We're amongst a community of high achievers here, let's face it. Achievement for achievement's sake. Are you striving for the well done of your boss or maybe someone in your family rather than the well done of God himself that will be there at the end of time? So if we get this down and in our hearts, the day of the Lord is coming. It will change our perspective and give us an eternal perspective. It will change what we treasure. We change what we treasure, cherish. Let's take a bit of time every day, one day a week, at least one day in 13 so we're in consistency with the scriptures of what it means for this Christian hope and how that should affect us. Thinking about what it means for all things we made new. Looking forward to the day when every tear will be wiped away. When all the struggle and the pain and the bitterness will be gone. And looking forward to that day of days, the most glorious day in all of human history. We have a glorious hope. That's how Paul puts it. A glorious, wonderful hope that we should be looking, longing, and waiting for. And so let's rest all of our hopes there and in Christ, the God who will bring it to fruition. In this life, you might not be all that you want to achieve. You might not be all the person you want to be. Guaranteed, you won't be. Your life will be full of regrets full of missed opportunities, full of lots of things where you look back and go, that didn't turn out quite the way I wanted it to. But it doesn't matter because there is a day coming. I just want to encourage you with a closing thought here in Paul. Apart from maybe just thinking like amongst ourselves as we gather and as we talk and we talk about the things of God, maybe let's let one in every 13 conversations be about the return of Christ or at least have that perspective on it. 
just as it is in the New Testament. But Paul tells us this one thing in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed. As we prayed earlier, so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. According to the Lord Jesus' word, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive, and the left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. When was the last time you encouraged someone with those words? Make today the first day. Amen.